Chapter Twenty of The Real Oscar Wilde by Robert Sherard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. To the regret that Oscar Wilde, who would only have been sixty today, did not live to see his literary reputation established all over the world, and to enjoy the harvest that he sowed in years of drab and mediocre life, must be added one's feelings of sorrow that this bon père de famille who was prepared for any sacrifice on behalf of his two sons was never to have the pride and joy of seeing these lads as they are now one more à l'ennemi forever on england's roll of honour the other part of the living rampart which protects against the teuton hordes their father's beloved france i have always held that oscar was au fond a man of action i am sure that he would have been intensely proud of the commissions held by his two sons and that he would have followed their progress during the war with as keen an interest as the most ordinary individual amongst british fathers one cannot help feeling also that england during the present crisis is the loser by the death of a master poet who felt or at least was able to show a fervent patriotism he had the art of writing verse that stirred the martial spirit there is no finer patriotic poem in the english language in the opinion of many than his Awe imperatrix that magnificent ode which begins set in this stormy northern sea queen of these restless fields of tide england what shall men say of thee before whose feet the worlds divide a poem full to-day of the strongest appeal a long utterance compared with which most of the poetry that the war has evoked is oh how pale it was written in eighteen eighty and appeared in the world for twenty fifth august eighteen eighty oscar wilde destined it originally for a magazine called time which was also edited by edmund yates but that shrewd judge of good work preferred to give it to the wider publicity that his weekly journal afforded and there is in stuart mason's bibliography a copy of the letter that the editor wrote to the poet announcing his decision one feels that were wilde living to-day the germans who have such a high esteem for his works and so much respect for his opinion might have shown a little more decency in their actions a little more regard for public feeling in england one knows what wilde would have thought and would have said about louvain and reims and one knows what effect his condemnation would have had upon the culture gentry as things are the only british writer for whose opinion they care a red heller is another irishman who unfortunately instead of flagellating them has rather condoned their unspeakable offences the germans hold that from an intellectual point of view there is nobody in england about whose opinion they need care and so en avant i sincerely believe that the presence of such a man as wilde whose intellect and authority they recognised would have acted as some sort of check on their conduct it is in this connection noteworthy that the decadence with which wilde's name was associated in england and so hugely advertised by the english in their mania for genius baiting has never been used as a weapon in germany with which to attack england at a time when every kind of abuse is being levelled against us this war would have been most highly approved of by oscar wilde 
one can fancy his indignation with the germans for their desire to cripple france his beloved france and to sack paris england would have had no warmer patriot the allies no more ardent supporter the aims of the germans would have filled him with anger and disgust and i can hear him as i once did regretting that he was precluded from the use of weapons i remember his showing me the picture of himself in punch where he was represented as a french piu-piu which was published just after he had announced that he was thinking of going to france to live there permanently and to become a naturalised frenchman this was after his great disappointment when the lord chamberlain forbade the performance of salome the suggestion was that if he did become a naturalised frenchman he would be obliged to submit to the law of conscription well and why not he said though i did not think that he was speaking seriously because i knew his natural indolence though i was also well aware that he was not lacking in personal courage he had a great admiration for the heroic and admired lord byron mainly for his active partisanship of greece it was during my stay at charles street that oscar wilde became engaged to constance lloyd i remember his waking me up one morning he had just returned from ireland to tell me the news i said i am very sorry to hear it because i did not think he was the kind of man who had settled down to a domestic life and there was something about hostages to fortune in my mind wilde said what a brute you are but i am quite sure that when the debacle came he regretted bitterly having associated others with his catastrophe i understood that the lady had expectations of a good income from her grandfather but as oscar afterwards related not without humour no sooner had the old gentleman joined our hands and from his deathbed given us his blessing than he blossomed forth into fresh and vigorous health he never spoke to me after that first day about his fiancée or his prospective marriage nor did i meet his wife until the day after the wedding when he came over to paris with her for the honeymoon he seemed then very much in love and said that marriage was a wonderful thing he seemed radiantly happy and used to send notes and flowers to his bride whenever he left her alone at the hotel she on her side seemed greatly attached to him and the union had every promise of being felicitous wild in the old days had been wont to speak cynically about married life i remember his saying to me that no husband who discovered that his wife was unfaithful to him ought to make a scene a far better thing for him to do and a far better revenge for him to take would be to pretend that he knew nothing about what was going on but to give the accomplices no chance of being together he would sit the lover out and having retired with his wife to the thalamos would exultingly wave his hand in friendly greeting to the unhappy swain sighing his heart out in the street outside his house he had a great deal of worldly wisdom about marriages there was a young man who had eloped from paris with a girl and was anxious to marry her in london it was as foolish a scheme as could be conceived and appeared so at once to oscar wilde who was a friend of the would-be bridegroom oscar went to see them at the hotel where they were staying waiting for the three weeks to elapse before they could be married and act dishonourably my friend act dishonourably 
you may be sure that that is what she is doing was the advice that he gave after my own marriage when i told him what i had done he said ah now i understand why you have never been to see me he was very indignant about his brother willie's marriage to mrs frank leslie who after her divorce from willie blossomed out into the baron de bazus and said that willie had acted very foolishly in not insisting on a settlement before he married the rich american woman she will tire of him of course in time and then she will know how to get rid of him which is exactly what happened it was a most disastrous marriage for poor willie for whom however a second marriage reserved in great happiness some compensation many years after willie's death i met this baron de bazus and could not help wondering what had attracted willie to her that she was a femme à homme it needed but a short acquaintance with her to observe i had been sent to take her to some function to which the lady who was then my wife had asked her i remember saying that we ought to make haste and she said that my wife ought not to have sent such a messenger if she expected the tete-a-tete to be a short one i wasn't particularly flattered because i could see that that is what the baron would have said to any man she made me sit down on the sofa beside her and gave me the benefit of her senile cockatrice i was however able to lead the conversation round to her former husband and i was pleased to hear that she spoke very kindly of willie wilde and seemed to regret her treatment of him she told me that she had made a point on her arrival in england of trying to find where he was buried as she had wished to place a wreath on his grave but had been unable to trace it i told her that willie had been very ill for a long time before he died and had been unable to follow his profession and so had died very poor and i told her that there were very many great literary men in england william blake and chatterton for instance who like him had no memorials except in the hearts of their countrymen she said that if he had cared to work in her office she would have given him a good place on her payroll i said that willie's talents hardly lay in the direction of editorial work on such publications as leslie's weekly she said that he would do nothing but spend his time at the century club and inform people that what new york lacked was a leisured class and that he willie wilde was determined to introduce such a class so she concluded one day i decided that i was through and called the reporters together and told them that i had decided to divorce mr wilde and he was of no use to me either by day or by night she added that though she had been married several times she had not yet given up the hope of being happily married in the end unfortunately most of the men who seemed likely were already married she had been told that i was to fetch her in our electric broom but this had broken down and i had nothing for her conveyance but an ordinary taxi when she saw this vehicle she cried out what's that i don't like riding in public conveyances and she showed her displeasure for which i was truly thankful during the whole of the drive in a prolonged sulk i afterwards saw her several times in london and each time my wonder grew how willie wilde could ever have married her a love-match on his side for he had nothing to look to from her except 
a place on her payroll i do not think that he derived any pecuniary advantage whatever from his ill-starred alliance with her she was not a liberal woman i remember her telling me of the large fortune she'd amassed as a matter of fact she left over four hundred thousand pounds at her death and bequeathed it all to the american suffragette cause and how everybody was at her for loans and so on but i have a good way of getting out of that she told me i tell them i'd just love to oblige only that i am kept from it by a deathbed oath which i took when frank leslie was handing in his cheques i tell them i swore at frank leslie's request that i would never lend a cent to any man or woman in this world so that the poor fellow died happy and i have never done so it was indeed a disastrous marriage for willie he went out to america a fine brilliantly clever man quite one of the ablest writers on the press he was a man who could have reached his three or four thousand a year easily the baron de bazus sent him back to england a nervous wreck with an exhausted brain and a debilitated frame this did not show itself at first but it soon became apparent that his power for sustained effort was gone his fate was in some ways as pathetic as that of his brother and a more lingering tragedy was his for though he had domestic happiness and was never exposed to real want he suffered bitterly from his loss of powers he had been robbed of his golden years and seemed to me like some unhappy samson deprived of his sight but just like his brother he was gallant and never once laid the blame of his unfortunate downfall where he might justly have done so but at any rate the christine to his monaldeschi did not pursue him with malice and hatred and after she had ridded herself of him seems to have tried only to think well of him in some women not unlike nero in this respect gross cruelty arises as the aftermath of unbridled passion inasmuch as it may help to understand oscar i would like to quote some passages about willie wilde from mr leonard cresswell ingleby's book on oscar wilde oscar he writes himself always paid a tribute to his brother's brilliant cleverness and i am not at all certain that of the two william wilde's was not the greater intelligence though he certainly never approached his brother from any artistic point of view willie performed the most astonishing feats of writing he was able to sum up a situation political or social in a single moment willie wilde was also a most delightful talker when he had talked to you for an hour or two you always went away chuckling with pleasure rather than stumbling in mental amazement he told good stories in his inimitable way and they were always kindly he said kind things of every one and if he referred to a friend or acquaintance it was always with an excuse for the failings of that friend or acquaintance his voice was one of those soft irish voices full of cadence and not innocent of blarney he was a typical irishman kindly casual and generous and all his outlook upon life was sweet and tolerant into his own marriage oscar wilde imported nothing of the cynicism with which he spoke of marriage in general he became what the french call un bon père de famille was a kind husband and an excellent father 
his distinguished sons remembered him with deep affection but he was not made for family life and long before the debacle the marriage had proved itself a failure i frequently met constance at her house and admired her very much she was beautiful and gracious kind-hearted and devoted to her husband for whose great cleverness she had the highest admiration in the awful tragedy which befell the house in tite street it was for her that one felt the deepest sorrow i was glad that i was able to be of some service to her in those days though the hope that i had entertained that in the end things might yet be adjusted between them proved itself a vain one certainly on the last occasion on which i saw this gentle and beautiful woman she was full of love and sorrow for her husband and told me that when he came out of prison he would find a home with her this was not to be and the two never came together again because when oscar came out of prison his wife was already sickening of the malady of which she died a few months later he was released in may eighteen ninety seven she died in april eighteen ninety eight chapter twenty